Hey, everybody. Welcome back for season two of the Broken Banquet podcast. This season, we've got more interviews with missionaries around the world, more interviews with authors who have written amazing books about missions, and more conversations about what it means for us to abide with one another. And yes, probably a story or two about Ashley taking a walk, eating food, or having drinks with someone who she now loves. We're so glad you're back. We're glad to be back. And we hope that you will enjoy this episode. So Ashley, usually you're the one introducing me to friends of yours on the Broken Banquet podcast. Um, I'm turning the tables on you this morning. All right. It's about time. It is about time. I started pulling my own weight on this thing. I waited till season two, you know, before I started actually participating. So... I want you to meet Matt Miofsky. Matt is a pastor in St. Louis, and I met Matt on my first trip to the Holy Land, which was in 2017. I was invited by one of our partner churches, which is a St. Louis church, and Matt took a group from his church, which is also a St. Louis church, and just had a great time getting to know Matt in the Holy Land. I think the two of it, there were maybe four, Four of us, gosh, if anyone from that trip hears this, I'm not trying to hurt anybody's feelings, but I think there were maybe four of us in the group of 30 or so who were below the age of like 55, maybe. And so we sort of gravitated to one another. Matt, you and Ashley and I actually have a friend in common, uh, Natter Muscovy, who was our guide on that first trip. He's been my guide on all three trips that I've taken to the Holy Land. And when Ashley and I took a group together in 2020, he was our guide. And the thing, one of the things that I remember most about that first trip, besides just being overwhelmed by the whole experience, was that you and Martin, who was a a staff member uh, that you took along with you from your church, and I had some pretty frequent sort of sidebars with Natter after we would visit places and and got to have some kind of side conversations and learn some things that weren't part of maybe the typical kind of tour guide information that that uh you know he's he's giving so um I remember that about that trip I also remember this is going to sound really I remember just really random stuff the hotel we stayed in in Tiberius had an indoor swimming pool that was heated from like thermal hot springs or something. And I can remember one of the first nights we were there, of course, we're all, you know, we're completely beat from what we've done all day. And we go down to that swimming pool to sit in the hot water. And you told me about your church's connection to a ministry in Mozambique. And so one of the reasons why I wanted to reach out to you to have you on the Broken Banquet is so that you can talk to us about that relationship. The first thing I want you to do is just tell us a little bit about who you are. Let our listeners know who who you are and, and talk to us a little bit about the gathering. Ashley has her hand raised, so we're going to let her jump in because I've talked nonstop already for the first the, part. Of the, the first thing I want to say is, so Will, you met Matt and got to know him by going on long walks in Israel. We did a a lot of walking, yes. You clearly had a lot of meals together. We did share meals together. So no wonder you're such great friends with Matt. Yeah, 
Yeah, there was no there were, there weren't drinks involved as I can recall. But Matt, so basically, there's three criteria for someone becoming an acquaintance of Ashley's, moving from that category into being someone that Ashley loves, and they have to go on walks together, they have to share a meal, and they share drinks. Once you've clicked all three of those boxes, then you are in the category of people that Ashley loves. So we're almost there, Matt. We need to get the other from drink for drinks right. sometime, and then uh, <laughs> you're in. But just, yeah, Matt, tell us, tell us a little bit about who, who you are and, and what you're up to in St. Louis. Well, it's good to see you, Will, and Ashley, it's good to meet you. Uh, good to meet you. I did drink, I have gone through the entire bag of coffee you gave me just a month ago. So oh, I've been count? drinking with you from a distance. Uh, yeah. Because it's great coffee. So uh, awesome. maybe that's a third. Uh, yeah, my name's Matt. I'm pastor of the gathering in St. Louis. It's United Methodist Church that I started in the city in 2006, 17 years ago. It's kind of hard to believe. I was 13 years old when I started it, so <laughs> bad. No, I, I amazing. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> Should call you Timothy. <laughs> yeah, uh, and I've you know I've been lucky enough. I consider it luck to pastor at the gathering I'm now in my 18th year so I've gotten to kind of stay in one place which I, I, I mentioned because I think it's important you know I know we're going to be talking about missions and so just the sort of longevity of some of what we've been able to do uh, has, has led to some kind of beautiful things that I'm not sure I would have gotten to do if I wouldn't have been here so long so uh, our church today has three locations around the St. Louis area it's a pretty large place, uh, so we're multi-site, and I get to sort of oversee everything the gathering does, but um, that's just a little bit about me. I also, in my spare time, write a little bit, and I know this is not a podcast about that, but I just am coming out. I'm excited because a brand new book called The Methodist Book of Daily Prayer. Oh, that's awesome. it yesterday, actually. It's just shipping out this week, so uh, that that's a little bit more about what I do, but uh, it's good to be with you all. Can we get that on Amazon, Christian you can books? Get on Amazon, Cokesbury, okay. Christian books, okay. wherever else you like to get books. So, we'll make yeah, sure to bump- link to it in the, in the show notes. Yeah. Yeah. I bumped into Matt, uh, I guess, a couple of months ago when I was at Leadership Institute, and they had, I guess, advanced copies of the book mm-hmm. in the bookstore. And I was in line to grab one before I left, and I got a text message that they were waiting for me to get to a meeting. And so I had to get out of line and wasn't able to get to the bookstore before I left the country. So now I've got to figure out who I can send a copy to that can bring one to me in Costa Rica as quickly as possible because I want to get a copy. Uh, that's yeah. exciting, Matt. I mean, go about it however you want to, but I'm I'm really interested in knowing how far back does the gathering's connection to Mozambique go? I'm, I have the impression that that was something that was pretty early on in the life of the church was that, that you guys made that commitment. Uh, is that, am, am I correct in thinking of it that way? Yeah, that's right. So, you know, we, we started, like I said, we started this church from scratch. So our whole existence felt missional in the beginning because there was no church. So everything we were doing was all about kind of starting a church and, a couple of years into the gathering's existence, it felt like, okay, I think we've got a church here. It's time for us to start thinking about kind of maybe what else God's calling us to do. And so we sort of went about a, a project of picking one local relationship that we wanted to start. 
and one international relationship that we wanted to start. And, and part of that was because I had been at churches before that missions, mission activity was something that churches did a little bit of a lot of different things. And sort of whenever the holidays popped up, they'd find something to do. Whenever the youth wanted to take a mission trip, they'd find something different to do. Whenever adults kind of got squirrely about wanting missions, they'd find some other project to do. And, uh, and not that any of those were necessarily bad, but over the long haul, it led to pretty scattered. I don't mean to be too critical, but sort of a selfish approach to missions where it's like when we needed something to do or our people were getting a little squirrely about, hey, why doesn't our church do more in missions? We'd go out and find something. Uh, instead of really thinking kind of strategically about how we want to enter into a missional relationship that maybe can make a difference over the long haul. So that's what we did. Um, I actually traveled to a few different places uh, trying to seek out what might be um, a relationship that we thought could have longevity, where we could make a difference, where we could uh, learn and uh, be in true relationship with somebody instead of just sort of popping in every once in a while to to do some charity. And the Methodist Church in Missouri had a longstanding relationship with the United Methodist Church in Mozambique. Uh, but one of the greatest needs in Mozambique was uh, water. And no church had really been able to figure out kind of how to not only fund, but figure out the logistics of uh, partnering with Mozambique to drill wells for clean water. And yet it's one of the biggest needs. And so I heard about this. I heard about one particular place in Mozambique where I had a friend uh, who said, hey, there's this brand new training center from Methodist pastors, but the only uh, only challenge is there's no water. It's going to cost $15,000 to dig a well. And so I just, I came back to my finance team. We were only three years old. We didn't have a lot of money. And I said, hey, what if for Christmas, it was, and Christmas was approaching, we, you know, we give, uh, try to give a gift that actually matters. Let's, uh, give away our Christmas Eve offering and dig a well for clean water. And they were a little nervous, you know, naturally not wanting to give away the largest offering of the year. Uh, but pr- the prior year offering was 3,500, which back then was a, a big deal on Christmas Eve. That was a lot of money for us. Uh, but we decided to go for it. So I spent all of Advent for talking about the Methodist Church in Mozambique and some of the, uh, some of the needs that existed there around clean water challenge the congregation to give we give so much at christmas that doesn't do anything give gifts to one another that don't make much of a difference so why don't we give uh instead some of that money on christmas eve and we did that we raised thirty-five thousand that year so it was a uh, 10 times what we'd received that's incredible that. that's absolutely yeah incredible. well we dug that first well and we said, well, we have money left to fund a couple more. And we did. And the next year I traveled there. So that was in 2009, 2010, Will. So you're right. It was 13 years ago when I first traveled to Mozambique. Uh, Since that time, we have done that every year for Christmas Eve. Uh, High watermark Christmas Eve offering was $340,000 just on Christmas Eve. Uh, so over $2 million has gone toward clean water. We've dug over 200 wells, impacted about 600,000 people who live uh, within those wells' proximity. But more than any of that, you know, I've been to Mozambique five times. I just got back a couple weeks ago. And it's a beautiful relationship that's resulted because now 
I've been in relationship with the leaders in Mozambique, including the bishop, uh, district superintendents. We have a Mozambique coordinator who's Mozambican who works uh, there on the ground. And I, I get to go now and see people that I've known for 10 years, people that we've been in partnership for a long time. And I always like to say that uh, getting well, getting water to people who need it in Mozambique is a collective effort, and we get to play a part in it. Uh, we can provide something important, funding, but our partners in Mozambique provide a lot of other important things. They, they provide the, the land, the we partner with a Mozambican driller, a Mozambican solar installer who installs panels with a United Methodist church there with local leaders who maintain the wells after they're dug. So it's really beautiful to see kind of people that never would have met, never would have been in relationship. I think this is beautiful about God. The Holy Spirit brings us into relationship. We each offer something and, and the, the result is much greater than what any of us alone could do. And I think that's what's, for me, really beautiful about that relationship. So that was more than what you asked me, but it's been a longstanding relationship that has just made a, a huge difference. And, it, and for me, what's exciting about that is we've stuck with it for 14 years. And so some of the greatest benefits of that relationship really only started to be seen in year, you know, in the past four, five, six years. I'm so glad that you told the story of that first Christmas offering because I heard you tell that story at Leadership Institute. You you had the privilege of doing a like a breakout section session or, or a workshop on tithing, and I want to congratulate you or giving. It was on giving. I want to congratulate you on mm-hmm. making a, a workshop on giving so informative and entertaining. Um, but you, you told that story and what I love about it is because to me, it illustrates so clearly how a healthy mission mentality in a church affects everything, not just the, you know, the volunteers who might be signing up to go on a mission trip, not just the partners that you're, that you're, you know, committing to a relationship with, but the fact that that thinking about missions correctly can increase tenfold giving at your church. I mean, if, if that's not, uh, you know, a, a beautiful sort of tactic and approach to increasing your giving, just talk, connect it all to missions and maybe that's the secret. And I think you sort of, when you, when you told that story, you sort of set it up that way that, look, if you want people to give more, don't just say, well, just give because we need it for the budget. You know, talk about how it is that their gifts and, and their generosity is going to be multiplied in the kingdom through these things that the church does. So I actually had in my notes for a conversation today, ask him to talk about that first Christmas offering. Um, so appreciate you doing that. And, you know, we, we've expanded it. We do the same thing at Easter as well. And, and Easter... Lent is the time we talk about kind of our local mission relationship, which I could talk more about, but we started a literacy project where we partner with the public schools in the city of St. Louis. And all of Lent, we get to talk about and celebrate that ministry and 100% of the Easter offering funds that missional relationship. Just like during Advent, we're getting ready to start talking about Mozambique again. And because I just went, we were able to have, you know, some sort of fresh stories and perspective. I'll tell you what, it's been for us a 
a beautiful tradition. It makes the offering one of the things that people look forward to the most on Christmas, which I just think is great. It makes a lot of people who will never get to travel to Mozambique nonetheless feel like it's part of their family because they give every year these gifts and depend on the stories that flow back and forth, even if they'll never uh, get the chance to go. So it's been, it's been really beautiful for our church, not just in terms of generosity, which I'm fully convinced it multiplies, but just in sort of the way people approach the the holidays. Mm -hmm. Well, I'm, I'm curious to know a couple of things. Um, I, I love your story, Matt. I think this is incredible. And I, I, Mozambique is where one of my friends, David and Elizabeth McCormick, they served. I don't know if you ever ran into them. They were there for about three years, Um, but they're from down here in the Louisiana conference and uh, we're, we're serving in Mozambique for a while. We had David on. Yeah. For, um, for a podcast last year. Um, I think he was mainly working in the hospital in the capital city there. Anyway, I digress. Uh, I'm curious to know when you made your initial visit to Mozambique, mm-hmm. what was what was the first connection like? How did you explore that relationship? And then how how did you make the connection between? We've talked about the generosity of your church members, but how did you make the relational connection between members of your church and members in Mozambique? So prior to us funding that first well, Missouri had this really unique relationship with the Methodist Church in Mozambique. And the nature of it back then, and it's since evolved, was, you know, the Missouri United Methodist Church, Methodist Churches in Missouri, was partnered with the Mozambican Annual Conferences so that each church in Missouri had a partner church in Mozambique. Kind of, oh, that's awesome. You know. Great. So yeah. all these so all these relationships already existed. So when I was an associate pastor, our partner church was a church outside the capital had a pastor. That pastor had actually come over to St. Louis and stayed with my wife and I. So I already knew her. Now, as as God would have it, that person ended up being elected the first uh, woman United Methodist Bishop in Africa. She's still the Bishop of Mozambique today, Bishop Yanala. So I had a I had a great in because the the now bishop of the of the church in Mozambique yeah. was someone that I already knew. Nonetheless, there were all these relationships that were already formed. So it was nice is when I traveled over there, maybe they didn't know me, but they're like, oh, Missouri, where our partner church is in, you know, Chesterfield or Jefferson City or Columbia. And the the leaders uh, knew of the United Methodist Church in Missouri. And of course, I had a relationship with the pastor who then became uh, the bishop. And so th- that was sort of the... That, that was kind of the backdrop to it, which was beautiful because I, I went over there and instantaneously I had relationships, even in really small, remote, rural places. You'd go up to some church and they'd have a picture of some church in rural Missouri on the wall. And uh, maybe a mission team had been there before or they had at least traded letters and pictures. So uh, that was kind of beautiful. Wherever we went, there were people sort of ready to receive us who knew something of the, yeah. of this relationship. Uh, so, so that, that's really kind of how I first made contact and now because I've been there so many times and because of wells, we've dug wells in so many different areas. Um, this past time I traveled there, I got to see people I've known for 13 years. I visited a few villages where 
we dedicated a well seven years ago and got to sort of see what was happening because of the well. Uh, one church that had a well about five years ago, their church was growing because of it. And so they waited. They're building for the first time their own stone chapel. They had kind of a thatched chapel before. And they waited until I got there because they wanted us to lay the cornerstone for their new chapel so that we could lay it together. So just sort of beautiful stories now of people that we've gotten to know over the years. I wonder how you connect your congregation personally with the congregation or or members in Mozambique. Yeah. Are there groups that go with you? And, and how do you yeah. uh, keep that connection alive uh, between visits? Yeah. So Mozambique's a beautiful place. It's not easy to get to. It just takes a long time. Amen. So we do take Absolutely. mission teams. We take we take mission teams. We take. We try to do about one every year, year and a half. I try to go once every 18 months. And when I go, I'll take a small group of people with me. So now we do have like a network of people at the gathering, probably a hundred plus who have been there. Uh, so so that, that matters because as they go back to their small yeah. groups and their friend circles, they get to talk about it. The other thing is that we will have people from Mozambique over to St. Louis because of the the relationship between the two conferences. We're fortunate enough to be able to have uh, some people occasionally travel over. And so mm -hmm. that's always beautiful. We have two friends that I met a long time ago in Mozambique. One is that uh, they're married, a clergy couple. She's the district superintendent in Maputo, the capital, and he's a pastor in Maputo. Their daughter moved to St. Louis. She's a member now of our congregation. And That's incredible. Probably most importantly, it is incredible. Uh, she helps us translate Portuguese a lot because, you know, not too many people speak Portuguese, Yeah, at least not in St. Louis. But I think the biggest way is every time we go, and we did it this past time, I try to take, you know, we, we take video crew this time, and we just try to capture stories so people at our church mm -hmm. will bring greetings and we'll play it for people in Mozambique. Our Mozambican partners love to, you know, sort of hop on the camera and say hi to the church at the gathering. And then all through Advent, we sort of show those videos. So everything from interviews in places where we've dug wells to uh, pastors in Mozambique offering prayers that we'll then use in worship uh, during Advent at the gathering. We try to make sure that there's plenty of back and forth all the way down to live zoom sometimes where we'll be in the time difference is you know a challenge sometimes but we will hop on where we just live zoom uh, one of our friends in mozambique uh and the congregation will get a chance to to hear from them i want to jump in real quick because you just said something that i absolutely love one of the things that i've challenged a bunch of my friends who are pastors in churches in the u.s about is figure out ways to make missions part of your liturgy mm -hmm. and you know we have uh, we have a, a church in Alabama that every week when they're doing the the prayers for the people they include something about us something about Costa Rica whether it's something that's going on in our local church or something at the missions and ministry center but somehow part of worship every Sunday is their connection to Costa Rica and the fact that you have Mozambicans Mozambican pastors praying that you're recording and then integrating into your worship services to me is is 
perfect. I'm so happy to hear that that you're doing that. It's been really beautiful. I mean, just seeing and experiencing one another in worship um, it makes people feel more connected. So, uh, it, it, and it's it's so simple, and yet it, it's been really powerful for us. But go ahead, Will. You had another question. Yeah, and this is sort of a technical question, and it's I'm kind of preempting maybe a. a a question that someone listening might might have in the in the back of their mind. I know one of the things that gets criticized sometimes about mission relationships that aren't healthy is people going around the world and digging wells or installing solar systems, and then within six months or a year, something breaks and it just <clears> stays <throat> broken. You hinted at this early on when you were talking about this relationship, but what are the the specific things that you all are doing as part of that long-term relationship that keeps that from creating a problem? Yeah, that's a great question. So several things, and, and I won't bore you too much, but first of all, we really let our partners in Mozambique guide the work that we do there. So we don't go in and pick any sites to dig a well. We don't decide anything about where wells should go. We've worked on a kind of a, a matrix for decision-making that our, uh, the, the staff for the Methodist Church in Mozambique are in charge of deciding you know, which places to say yes to, which places to say no to. Uh, a big part of what we do is dig wells on land that's owned by the United Methodist Church, so the local church land. It, it protects usually wells from getting privatized or bought up. If it, um, it, it leads to a community feeling responsible for the well instead of an individual or one person. We do have a maintenance fund and when a well breaks, every local church where we dig a well has like a well team or a, you know, a water committee or whatever they call it. Oftentimes we go there and the water committee is so excited to give us their report of how much water has been used and what repairs they've done. There is a repair fund uh, that they can access. The, the other thing is, and this we found out is really unique, <clears throat> a lot of nonprofits will buy rig equipment to dig wells, get a person to go over there and dig these wells, or try to hire someone to dig it, and, and then uh, and then they kind of leave. But we partner with a, a local Mozambican-owned company that digs the wells for us. In fact, when I was there, the owner of the drilling company took our team out to dinner and we had a chance to talk. I've known him for 10 years. So he's on the ground there. And if a repair needs to happen, if something breaks, he he's a United Methodist as well. Uh, he's there to, to go and help. Same with the solar installer. Solar installer is a family business in Mozambique. Uh, and now it's like third generation, some brothers who own it. They're great. I've known them for seven, eight years. They install the solar. When we're there, they'll show us kind of what's working, what's not, some of the updates they've made to wells. So, you, you know, I think that's the value of the partnership. If we were to just try to drop in without really knowing anybody, just dig a well wherever we thought a well was needed, kind of leave it there without any kind of plan for how it was going to be looked after uh, and without any real buy-in from community uh, people or leaders, it's no wonder that a lot of these wells six months later are broken. Nobody feels responsible for them. Nobody knows what to do. There's mm -hmm. no money for it. So all those kinds of things, I mean, it is nitty gritty, but it's things that we dig into. 
uh, because it's really important. I mean, it's important for the people who need water. It's important for um, our people back home who want to know like, hey, wait a minute, if I give money, is this really like doing something or is this just a feel good operation at, at Christmas time? So, uh, so, so those are some of the ways that we ensure that this doesn't just turn into like, we'll, we'll dig a well, we'll celebrate the ribbon cutting and then six months later it's rusting. Matt, I, I completely, uh, I'm relating to everything you're saying. I, I cut my teeth in the mission world on clean water projects in Haiti. And, and what I've heard you say is what I got an entire dissertation, doctoral dissertation out of, um, is that it takes humility to be able to ask the other person, what do you think is best for this community? And it takes listening to hear what they have to say and then obedience and, and, and relationships to be able to say, yes, I hear what you say. And that is what we're going to do because I trust you. And I, I know that you know what is best for your community and I'm going to follow your lead. So that that's amazing humility and listening that you have taken uh, into these missional relationships in Mozambique. I love everything that you had to say about <laughs> that even now uh, you have a relationship with the well digger and the solar power family. I yeah. think that that's so important because the more that we have relationships and connection, uh, the less triangulation tries to happen. Uh, well, that guy told me this and this guy told me this and I can do it. But yeah. when we create these relationships and they're based on trust and we... Um, have that uh, longevity uh, of, of we keep on going and we keep on serving together and we keep up this relationship only good fruit can can come from that it's it's so true and, and i would just add to your list like trust has has been big and as we build a relationship over time like we just have a high trust level and you have to uh because the the opposite of that would be us trying to control everything which would not lead to good outcomes and I think oftentimes there are the guise of accountability. A lot of missional relationships are highly controlled by the funding partner, for example, or someone far away. I think you're right. And, you know, thank you for, for spotting that. A dissertation on missions. I, I'm so intrigued. Talk about that later. Can, I'll send it to you later. <laughs> It'll make for great bedtime, you know, go to sleep reading. <laughs> Well, I was just going to say, I mean, I don't want to dive into something totally different, but sort of paired with that, because you were asking me kind of how do we maintain that relationship? How do people participate? You know, paired with that is a lo one local mission that we pour ourselves yeah. into yeah. as well. And the reason I name that is because there are people sometimes who are like, well, it's thousands of miles away and I'm never going to get to go there. Well, what, what do we do about people right here in St. Louis? And yeah. I think that's always uh, maybe a familiar critique in a lot of places like, you know, we have so much to do right here. And so we, we really try to say we invest heavily in two relationships. And if you want to get involved and serve and do that weekly, you can do that through our local missions. If you have a heart for uh, people far away in, in some conditions that are uh, so much different from the ones that we get to live in, uh, Mozambique is, uh, is, is a great ministry. But there is sort of both a local and, uh, and an international. And really everything I've just said about Mozambique in many ways sort of parallels with our local missions. It's called the Literacy Project. But again, the power of that has been, we kind of picked one thing 
which is really hard because everybody wants you to pay attention to everything that's happening in a city like St. Louis. There's a thousand worthwhile needs that the church could maybe address. We kind of picked one. We've stuck with it over time. And the fruit has been really beautiful in many of the same ways. So that also sort of complements what we're able to do in Mozambique. Yeah, no, I'm so glad you you said that because you know, one of the first questions that I ask churches that come here to be a part of what we're doing in Costa Rica when they come for the first time is, tell me about your local missions. And sometimes they have really good answers, but sometimes it's you can just hear the crickets chirping. I think, man, if this is it, if this is all you do, we're not going to have a very long relationship with your church because this just isn't sustainable. And, and, you know, our organization, it's Acts 1-8 missions on purpose. We're to be Christ's witnesses in Jerusalem. So St. Louis, in your case, in Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. But we don't get to overlook Jerusalem just because it might be more exciting to go to the ends of the earth. But we can't forget about the ends of the earth just because there's needs right mm-hmm. in front of us in Jerusalem. We have to have balance in that. And there's, of course, there's a bunch of different ways to achieve that kind of balance. Uh, it looks different in in you know, different churches and different contexts. But the fact that you guys zeroed in on one local and one foreign, I think that's that's great because you're reinforcing that and you're avoiding you know i hear all the time people who come here and say yeah you know so and so kind of cornered me before we left and so why are you going all the way there when there's stuff to do right here you know in in our community and i kind of my knee-jerk reaction when i hear that from someone is to say yeah so tell me what is it that you are doing in your community you know that you personally are doing in your community and a lot of times the people who are sort of asking that question they don't even have an answer for that. It's just something that's kind of easy to throw stones at. But uh, we've had, you know, in the first season, we had the the local missions pastor from Ashley's church on an episode, and we wound up talking about the exact same things that we talk about with all these missionaries that are serving around the world. The, the themes are the same. The details are mm-hmm. different. The context is different. But the idea behind it, it's the same stuff. It's relationship. It's humility. It's talking and listening and seeing people and, and all those things. So, Well, and, and I think it's, uh, it's just been so, we, we've learned so much from our local missional relationship that I think in a lot of ways, it's not entirely different. It can be just as easily seen as a one-off thing that's forgotten about for, you know, months at a time or years at a time. And so uh, our, our local missional relationship with the literacy project has been beautiful. And in that, I just, you know, you see all the suspicion that has existed for a long time in a place like St. Louis. So, so we have a literacy project where we go every week, we pair a person gathering a reading mentor, trained reading mentor with a first grader or kindergartner in one of the public schools in St. Louis. And every week we go into the schools and the mentor works with the, with the student. And uh, so so it's a, it's chance every week to be in the schools. And when you're, when you're there every week, you're just able to learn and, so many of the principals when we first started were so suspicious of us. Teachers were like, oh boy, another, you know, another church coming down to paint a gym and then leave. And they just admitted that 
corporate C-suites or other churches or whoever wants to come down and do a charity project is, is actually more trouble than it's worth. And it probably took us a good year to prove that we, we were going to show up week in and week out. And now if you go down, we have four different schools. They give us a classroom. It's hard sometimes to tell who works for the school and who's a volunteer from our church. The principals of the schools always come and participate in worship during Lent to kind of tell the story of what's happening. So again, that's really led to beautiful things, but it's taken time again, it just a, time and mm-hmm. consistency, which I think is just missing in a lot of missional relationships. Consistency is one of my favorite words. And I think that that's directly related to koinonia, because if if we're going to have that koinonia community fellowship relationship, the only way we can do that is by consistently being present with one another. And I loved hearing that in your heart, Matt, that that's a beautiful relationship to build. And that also goes back to what you said early on, Matt, with what you were uncomfortable with, with some of the mission models from some earlier churches where you served, where it was, you know, one year here and one year there and another year somewhere else. And because you didn't have the consistency, you weren't building relationships over time. You know, we, we've had groups that have come to Costa Rica before who the, their mission mentality at their church is that we want to go somewhere different every time we go somewhere because we want to see the church in as many different contexts as we can. And that sounds exciting. I get that. But you completely miss out on those long-term relationships that you get through consistently being present in one another's lives. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And you know, it, it never allows you, because in any missional relationship, I think you bump up against challenges at times where there's maybe different expectations or uh, you bump into cultural differences or, uh, and I think that in longstanding relationships, you have a chance to bump into those, sit down, kind of work through them. Sometimes you mess up, sometimes you trip a little bit, but you grow and you learn from one another. And I think when you just do one-offs here and there, you never kind of get to those moments where, and those are the real learning moments. I mean, I think those are, those are the moments where God kind of really disciples people on all sides of a missional relationship. And uh, so for me, the most valuable thing about our missional relationships is the, is the relationships we form with, with people, because I think that the Holy Spirit kind of calls us out of our parochial concerns and into relationship with people that are <clears throat> that are working in the kingdom kind of all over the world. And, and we learn a lot there. And so for us, at least the one-offs, uh, while maybe some good work happens on a particular day, uh, they, they, they don't really rise to the level of kind of how, how we see the value of missions for the greater church. We interviewed in season one Hunter Farrell, who wrote Free and Congregational Mission. I'm not sure if you're familiar with that book, but highly, highly recommend it. But he uses words like companionship rather than relationship. Yeah, Um, Faithful friendship is a Mm -hmm. word that's been thrown around a lot just to kind of imply that that consistency in it. You know, a healthy relationship isn't a relationship that's free from challenges and problems. It's a relationship where... When there are challenges and problems, you can, like you say, dig into it and and work through it and continue to be productive together. So, Ashley, I cut you off. 
Well, no, I was going to name drop Dwayne Elmer. So we had Dwayne Elmer, another author on uh, the podcast last season, and he wrote one of his uh, trilogy books is Cross-Cultural Conflict. And we cannot walk through tension to the other side if there's not a trusting, uh, consistent relationship. And so to be able to get through a conflict, um, there has to be the trust that you mentioned, Matt. There has to be the humility. There has to be the listening. There has to be all this consistency uh, and companionship to be able to walk through tension. So that was my name drop. Well, and I guess, I mean, it's no secret to anyone who's been listening to this podcast that that obviously we're huge advocates for long-term consistent relationships where we're committed to one another. You know, your your church is committed to a relationship with a community somewhere in the world, might be in your backyard, might be on the other side of the planet, but that that and that, that commitment is is going both ways. Um, mm. that there's balance and reciprocity. And I love that companionship, true friendship. That's how we feel now. I mean, like I said, the the friends that I've made in Mozambique that colleagues I have there feel every bit as much my colleagues as some of the people here in Missouri. And so it's hard. I think that's hard. It's hard to put into words and hard to adequately express how different it is from a, a purely transactional relationship between maybe mm. a church who wants to do something and a church who needs something or a church that has money and a place that doesn't. It's, it's not at all transactional. In fact, when we go over there, we don't actually, we don't do any work. I mean, there's no mission work happening. It's all kind of continuing to build the friendship, talk about issues, talk about what's working, what's not working, where are we maybe getting it wrong and getting it right. I mean, all the time is dedicated to that. So I have to really prep people who go. Like, you're not going to be taking a shovel out and digging a well. You're not going to be... You know, and, and some people, it, it troubles them. They're like, well, I want to go, you know, do mission work. And it's like, well, that's not really what this is. This is primarily uh, about going over to, to see what's happening and continuing to learn and grow the relationship. Uh, because the Mozambicans are doing the work. I mean, they're, they're the ones who know what to do and are, are doing the work. And, and we're here to kind of partner with them in, in what God's trying to do there. Nobody is going to believe that we didn't send you a list of talking points before we did this interview. Literally was getting ready to say the same thing. (laughs) You're using all the right words that come up over and over again. So thank you for that. I was going to say, you've spoken our love language this morning of um, moving away from transactional to transformational. You've used uh, listening, humility, companionship, friendship. Well, and I just wanted to say, Ashley, not to interrupt you, but I I think it's important important for people to know like i haven't read a bunch of books on this this language isn't forged out of studying it like you clearly have it's it's really been uh, 13 years of digging into this relationship where i've screwed up a lot or i've kind of oh man i I thought of this in one way and i think i need to rethink that in light of what i experienced the beautiful thing about I i think engaging in missions in this way with humility and openness is you're going to learn a lot and there's going to be times when you maybe don't get it right or you have to backtrack, but th- th- that's, what's beautiful about being in relationship with people you trust is they'll, they'll help you to do that. So th- this is all kind of on the ground learning the, the, the ideas, the phrases, the, the concepts are, are not anything I've ever sort of read in a book or, or studied. It really has been forged in just getting your hands dirty, uh, no pun intended 
in, in a relationship and uh, and realizing that, hey, I have a lot of room to grow. And I think that's where a lot of churches are, that, that if they're open, a missional relationship will teach and form their own discipleship in profound ways if they're open to it. So I have, I have one more question for you, Matt. We've we've kept you for a while. We really appreciate your, your spending time with us this morning. But I'm, I'd like to know if I showed up at the gathering on a Sunday morning, and uh, I don't know if you if you print bulletins or if there's announcements on a screen or whatever. But if I saw somewhere in mm-hmm. the the kind of the literature from that morning something referencing either the reading program in St. Louis or referencing Mozambique, and and I just grabbed a just a random church member and said, "Hey, what's what's this about? What's this this stuff about? How do you think they would describe the the relationship that that the gathering has?" in these places or just the kind of the missions, the vision for missions in general at the gathering? Yeah. If you grabbed a person and asked them about Mozambique, they would get super excited to tell you about the Christmas Eve offering. And now every Christmas, Matt challenges us not to buy gifts for ourselves that don't mean much, but to give a gift. And they would likely, if they've been around for a couple of years, tell you a story about what that's done in their family. So it would be something about like, hey, uh, yeah. last year we decided no Christmas gifts. We were all going to go do something together. And then we pooled the money and we all came on Christmas Eve and gave it. Or, um, hey, my daughter had her eighth birthday party and she told her friends not to bring it and said to bring their change and we would give a gift. And she brought a big bag of coins. on Christmas. They would tell you a story about Christmas and about their their connection to giving to the offering that digs wells for clean water. And almost everyone would have a story like that. If you could sum up in one thought what the Mozambicans have taught you over these 13 years, what would that one lesson be? For me, it's it's that the church still matters. The local church still matters. And that's a big deal to me. As a, as a pastor for 20 years, I often sit around in a post-COVID U.S. culture where churches, I, I, you know, on my more cynical days, I look around and churches at best an extracurricular activity that people mildly care about, uh, and that's best case scenario. And we see decline in the church in so many ways. And it's easy, I think, as a pastor or a congregation member to sit around and wonder, like, does this really matter? Does this stuff really matter anymore? And then in Mozambique, I see a place where the church is thriving and growing, and I see at least this matters. This relationship matters, and what God is doing. Um, through our churches together matters for the lives of people. And so I think if it gives me anything, it gives me hope that that while the church in the U.S. is in a certain place, the church around the world is thriving and growing, and God is using the church in powerful ways. And I, I want to be, be a part of that. It gives me sort of hope for the church and uh, honestly energy for my own calling. I'll tell you what I love about your answer, and this is something we've talked about before, is that you know seeing sort of the state of the church right now in the West and, and in the U.S. and just the struggles and you know declining attendance and that sort of thing. The idea that we're still sending missionaries or mission groups from there out into the world—it's almost like, well, you know, what the heck? And I can't help but wonder if maybe we need to keep doing that, but not so much because of what they're taking with them but because of what they will bring back with mm-hmm. them from these other places that they're in missional mm-hmm. relationships with. So that 
that excitement, that encouragement that you feel when you go to Mozambique and then come back to St. Louis is vital for the health and the energy of the gathering. And so you, you know, <clears throat> there are ways that through these relationships, local churches in the U.S. are being rejuvenated because of what they're seeing through the relationships they have with people in you know the global south in the developing world however you want to call those things man i'm so glad that i bumped into you by accident a couple of months ago that was unexpected but it was great to catch up with you and i'm i'm so glad that you uh had time to visit with us this morning i'm glad that you got to meet ashley and that our listeners are going to get to hear about the gathering and about mozambique and about uh, just what missions means to your church well, it's great to be with you, Will. It's always good to see you. Thanks for inviting me. Ashley, it was great to meet you, and thanks for the work that you both are doing. Well, Ashley, good to see you. We should do this again sometime. Yeah, sounds great. Uh, how about next week? All right. All right, sounds good. Bye, Ashley. Bye, Matt. Bye, guys. Bye, guys. You've been listening to The Broken Banquet a podcast by Will Bailey and Ashley Goad. Music provided by Irene and the Sleepers. Join us next week for another episode. He's prepared the table. All things are ready. Come to the feast. <laughs>